Blessed are you tonight, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah, listen to this, for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Hashem, help us to hear your Torah today for its own sake. Chapter 26, verse 6, we're going to read six, verses 6 through 22 today. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he was scared to say, my wife. Lest the men of the place kill him because of Rebekah, for she is fair to look upon. And it came to pass, as his days there lengthened, that Abimelech, the king of Philistines, gazed down through the window and saw, behold, Isaac was jesting with his wife, Rebekah. Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, but look, she's your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Now Isaac said to him, because I said that I would be killed because of her. Now, Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people has nearly lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Abimelech then warned all the people, saying, Whoever molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in that land, and in that year he reaped a hundredfold. Thus had Adonai blessed him. The man became great and kept becoming greater until he was very great. He had acquired flocks and herds and many enterprises, and the Philistines envied him. And all the wells of his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. The Philistines stopped up and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you have become much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and dwelled there. And Isaac dug anew the wells water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and the Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham's death. And he called them by the same names that his father had called them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of fresh water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of that well Essek, because they involved themselves with them. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it, that one also, and he called that one Sitna. He relocated from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth. And said, for now Adonai has granted me ample space, and we can be fruitful in the land. Amen. You know, nothing that happens by Hashem's mighty hand, nothing that happens by Hashem's mighty hand is by coincidence. Right? Uh, I gave the, the great uh, news, breaking news announcement, which I still can't believe, that our mikvah that we, by God's grace, have built and is, is just about finished. Uh, we estimate, we, we've, we've asked our contractors to be done by May 15th. And as far as we can tell, that's going to happen. But we found out yesterday that the uh, mikvah that we've created, that we've dug, 
unbeknownst to us, has been built on top of a natural spring. And all this time, natural spring water has been flowing into the mikveh and filling it up, which is why the water has to be pumped out. They have a, I didn't know this, but they have a pump that's been pumping water out of there because it was filling up and they have to keep it down, otherwise it'd flood the house. And we thought, Shlomo thought, and I, I had no reason not to, not to agree, was that this must be just some runoff from, from previous rains or something like that. But it did seem kind of odd because it was so full. Turns out it's not runoff from rains. It's actually an underground Mayim Chaim that apparently is below most, if not all, of the seven square miles of Saginaw. And so our mikvah has been, is, is been filled up those, thus far. The, 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 the cistern below has been filled up with living water from an underground spring. And so the contractor called us, and he was wanting to know if that's kosher. Is, like that, is that okay? Because he, he didn't know this was going to happen. And, uh, of course, <laughs> what's funny about that is that the highest level of mikvah that you can have the lehamadrin level of mikvah is a mikvah that is a mikvah that is fueled by mayim chaim from a, 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 a spring. You know why? Let me tell you why. Because you can defile a river. You can defile rainwater. It can become... It can become defiled, but you cannot defile spring water from a living spring, which is why Yeshua can't ever be defiled, because he's the, the water, which is why he's a living Torah. You can't defile a Torah scroll either. So it's the highest level. So we have the highest level mikvah. That's unbelievable. Now... And then, I didn't even think about this till last night as I was, as, as, I, we have, as our custom, we have Hadassah always read the, 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 the portion from Genesis at our table as part of our Arab service. And it didn't even occur to me that I got this great news and the portion t- is about Isaac digging wells. <laughs> now, I, I want you to follow me. Isaac digging wells. Because Isaac is the Akedah, Isaac is the image of the Father laid on the altar for the atonement of our sins who actually dug the well. But not just any well, he dug, he unstopped the ancient wells of his father and called them by the same name. Oh, so here we are. And now, I chose the name for our mikvah, mikvah shaloa, just because I've always, there's something about the shaloa mikvah that just has always gripped me. And I, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a scholar on the mikvah shaloa. I just thought it was cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I knew a little something, something but I, I'm not like, you know, expert. I couldn't tell you the dimensions of it and all this kind of stuff. But... Now I, I know more, obviously, and to see that this mikvah shaloa, the, the original mikvah shaloa is fed by a living spring. And this is fed by a living spring. The mikvah shaloa is the mikvah of the king. 
And this is the mikvah of the king. That we're going to find out in a moment here that Isaac went about. He didn't just re, there's a, there's a metaphor, the, the, the re-digging of the wells is a metaphor. But Isaac was going about, we're going to read in a second, he was going about trying to return people back to the original faith. And that's what Mikvah Shiloh is all about. It's about returning people to the original faith. You know, there's some people out there that didn't want us to build a mikvah. They thought it was too expensive, waste of money. Should do other things first. See, but here's the thing. This is what I was talking about last week. You've got to take a step of faith because if you never built the mikvah, you would have never found the spring of living water. Some people aren't willing to dig. See, that's the problem. Some people aren't willing to dig to do the hard things. This mikvah is a big deal. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. But let's, let's look at this portion. I just cannot get over um, everything that Hashem is relates to us. And the whole process um, has just been a big, huge stamp of approval on what we're doing. In other words, God is in this. God is in this. And... Um, as I go along in life, I just grow more aware of the situation that my whole life is about Hashem. Like my whole mission in life is about Him. I don't intend to retire. I don't intend to stop. This is not time for me to go out to pasture. In fact, we're just now getting started. We're just now getting started, actually. Uh, we're just now ramping up. Man, I don't know how to preach, but let me, let me get that over here to Isaac. How wealthy was Isaac? Did you know, you know, everybody talks about in religious circles, they talk about the hundredfold, the hundredfold, the hundredfold, the hundredfold, because that's mentioned in the gospel. What they don't know, because they don't have Jewish sources, and I feel sorry for people, that the Jewish idea has never been a hundredfold, it's always been a thousandfold according to Deuteronomy 111, which is why I've said that for years. We want the thousandfold blessing. When it talks about the hundredfold blessing here about Isaac, what, what, what is really said is that they were expecting a hundredfold naturally, but what happened was it was actually a hundred times a hundredfold. So it was actually a, a multiple thousandfold blessing for Isaac. Isaac was exceedingly wealthy because... Uh, of the blessing of God on his life, but the question becomes, how wealthy was Isaac? So Mayam Loez brings down, it says, the man prospered, he continued to flourish until he was very great, he had flocks of sheep, flocks of cattle, large, uh, a large contingent of servants, and the Philistines became jealous of him. Now, I want you to follow that idea of the Philistines becoming jealous, because Isaac, throughout this entire discussion today, Isaac is a type, a shadow, a euphemism, an example of Messiah Yeshua. I want you to keep those two things in mind. Because we're going to see a lot of things unfold about Isaac. And in this case, the Philistines were jealous because of him. This is the problem with Yeshua in the days that he walked the earth. They, it wasn't that they, they didn't think he was the Messiah. They knew he was. But the problem is they were jealous of him. Now, not everybody was. It was mostly the Sadducees because the Sadducees were all about the power. 
They were all about the position. They wanted to wear the robe. They wanted to get the honor. And they were mad because it's not that they didn't want the Messiah. They just, they just, they wanted to be the Messiah. Not everybody who's religious is going to be happy. We've talked about the fact that uh, the reality is that when the Mashiach comes and he's not a breast lever, the breast levers aren't going to be happy. No, so we live, we live on, and I'm not trying to pick, out, pick on one group, I just use that as an example, not picking on one group. It's a, this, this true for all groups. We live under the assumption that when the Messiah comes, everybody's going to be like, oh, he's not... I want you to think about it. Just think about it in human terms. I've been living this life as a breast lever or Herbodnik or Haredi or modern Orthodox or Reform or whatever. I've been living this whole life, and this is what I've been proclaiming as truth, and the Messiah comes, shows up, and he's not that. Now, some people will acquiesce to that reality, but there's going to be a whole lot of people who won't, won't be happy about that. They'll, they'll deny him just because they can't get over the fact that their truth has to be truth. Now, that's true in the Jewish world, but how many Baptists do you think are going to deny the Messiah when he shows up wearing tefillin? How many, how many Pentecostals are going to accept him when he rebukes half of what they do? Wait, what? Oh, oh when he's celebrating Hanukkah and not celebrating all that other stuff. Or when, he's, or when, he, when he won't eat the Easter ham. How many people are going to follow him when he, he says, hey, God, I love y'all so much. Y'all are great. But here, I just want to understand that you're, uh, you're holding services on Sundays and not abomination. How many people are going to be like, no? No, you think, oh, everybody will follow because their eyes will be open. Is it? Listen, sometimes we can read the scriptures and we're still stuck on our nostalgia. You say, I don't believe in ancestral worship. We do it all the time. We worship our ancestors all the time because this is the way grandma used to do it. See, I don't believe in ancestral worship. I don't put my little figures, figurines of grandma and grandpa and bow down in front of the candles. Well, you don't do that necessarily, but you're still doing what you do because Papa told you to. doesn't line up with Scripture, but it's okay because Papa said. But going back, how wealthy was Isaac? It says the Philistines were saying, the Philistines were saying that the manure of Isaac's mules was worth more than Avimelech's gold. That's what Mayam Loez brings down. He says, that's how wealthy Isaac was. That they, and, and one of the reasons for that is he talks about was the fact that whenever they would take the manure of Isaac's donkeys and they would put it in their fields, they'd have a bumper crop. And so they said, hey, it's his manure. That, that's one of the reasons why his manure was literally more valuable than the gold of Avimelech because they're like, look, if I take his manure and put it in my field, I have a lot, I have a huge crop and I'm able to sell it for a great price. What that's more that's worth more than your gold. We have to understand that sometimes the very base things at Torah are worth far more than the precious things of the world. We have to get that down into our soul that we want what God wants because everything he has, even the things that we think are insignificant, are worth far more than the gold of Abimelech. Abimelech was jealousy. He had jealousy. It says here in verse 
uh, 16, I cannot endure this jealousy. This is what Abimelech is saying to Isaac. I cannot endure uh, this jealousy. I saw you come here with few possessions, and in a short time you have become wealthier than I. Although I am king, I do not have as many flocks as you. I am humiliated when I see that your house is greater than my palace. You know, jealousy can mess up a lot of things. We get jealous of each other. We get, we get jealous of, of, of what somebody else has. It leads to envy. And we just got to be guarded against jealousy and be content with what Hashem has given us and understand that we have the grace for what Hashem has given us. Some of us don't have the grace for a billion dollars. I'd like to be tested with that. But some of us don't have the grace for that. It, might, it would destroy us. If we had that kind of wealth, we'd forget God. I mean, I hope that everybody's wealthy, but you don't understand what I'm saying. But this is, this is a, an, a, an expanded insight into the jealousy from Rabbi Monk. It says, this jealousy initiated a whole chain of events, he writes, and a new period of exile. Now listen, remember, Isaac is like to, to Yeshua, okay? So the people around him were jealous of him, but that jealousy led to exile, which is exactly what happened to Yeshua and his followers. A whole chain of events, a new period of, of exile, which began with Isaac and which was referred to in the announcement to Abraham. Your offspring shall be aliens in a land not their own. To be sure, Abraham was also a stranger in the land, but he had achieved such respect and admiration that everyone considered him to be a prince of God. Isaac, though, became an object of jealousy, indeed, of unconcealed hatred in the eyes of the populace. As for Jacob, a large part of his life was lived in a state of servitude. So these three, these, it says these three phases correspond to the three aspects of the lives of the Jews among the nations. In each aspect, we have servitude, envied power, and respected greatness. So a Jew's task is to manifest its fidelity to the divine covenant. And in return, this covenant remains in constant protective shield and guarantee of the Jew's salvation. Jewry's experience, we experience these, these three stages historically, but sometimes we do it in reverse order. The fact of the matter is, is people become jealous of us, and they, as they became jealous of Yeshua, and that led to our exile. They were jealous of Isaac, and it led to them kicking Isaac out, and they soon realized, as we'll read next week, they soon realized that that was a mistake, and they went back to make a treaty with Isaac. They said, listen, we realized when you left, the blessing left. And guess what happened? When we exiled Yeshua, the blessing left the Holy Land, and soon to follow was the national exile. You have to understand that sometimes people's uh, hatred of us just has to do with jealousy. The Kehold Humash talks about Isaac's planting of the crops and the real purpose of why he planted the crops to begin with. We talked about the fact that uh, I, I encouraged us just a moment ago that when we're trying to improve ourselves during this time period, 
let's really strive not to have any benefits in mind. Trying to improve myself so that I can get God's favor. Trying to improve myself so blah, blah, blah. But whatever the benefit may be, let's not have that in mind. So Isaac, when he planted the crop, he didn't have any benefit in mind. His whole motive for planting the crop was because he wanted to give tithes. And a lot, up until this point, the majority of Isaac's wealth was inherited from his father. But the rule of tithes is if you're going to give something away, it has to be yours to give. Now you could argue, well, he, it was given to us from his father, so it's his. Yes, but he, you, he wanted to earn something that he could give out to the masses. The sages say that the third tithe of given to the poor actually came from the practice of Isaac. So it says here, Isaac sowed grain in the region, and in that year, it is clear from a close reading of the Torah, this is from the Kehot Humash, it's clear from a close reading of the Torah's narrative that the patriarchs were astute businessmen. Nevertheless, it is also clear that they engaged in material pursuits solely with the object objective of fulfilling God's will. You catch that? They're doing it only to fulfill God's will. In this case, Isaac's true goal in sowing grain was to be able to give charity to the poor by fulfilling the commandment of tithing, which the Torah stipulates can be performed with one's own produce. It says in another source that this is because, as we know, the patriarchs followed the entire Torah. Which, by the way, tells us something. Are you, are you paying attention? It tells us that tithing is a part of Torah. And by the way, some people say, we're not supposed to tithe because there's not a temple. Uh, where was the temple that Isaac was going to go to? I, I, I'm not really good at time frames. I get my years messed up. But it seems to me like the temple was further down the road, right? Yeah. So there wasn't a temple when Isaac was tithing, which teaches us that you don't have to have a temple to tithe. Oh! Which, that's okay, that's okay anyway. No, that's okay anyway, because the reason you want to get out of tithing had nothing to do with your desire to follow Torah, it just had to do with your greed anyway. You were just looking for a loophole so that you could keep your money, because you forgot it wasn't your money. So you use, the you use the text as a pretext to cover up your own desire to keep your precious. That's why you don't have any money. Because the whole, the, to, quote, to quote Princess Leia, the tighter you grip, the more they slip through your fingers. She said that to Darth Vader on the Death Star. And Governor Tarkin. Not that I'm into Star Wars or anything. I just want to share that. So it says, like the patriarchs, when our involvement in the pursuits of a livelihood and wealth is similarly motivated, we are blessed with overwhelming success. So this is the great... One of the paradoxes is that when we don't focus on the benefit involved in pursuing God, we get all the benefits involved in pursuing God. 
But when we are motivated by the benefits, we don't reap the benefits. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of what people think. That's why we have to do the, the Torah for the Torah's sake. The, he, he planted the crop because he wanted to give the money away. And God said, because you want to give the money away, I want to make sure you have so much money, you're going to be overly blessed. This is what happened to Solomon when Solomon said, I just want wisdom. I just want wisdom to lead. I'm not, I, I need help. And God said, because you didn't ask me for wealth or glory or honor or peace or prosperity, you're going to have all of that. Oh, by the way, and you're going to have an abundance of wisdom. Now, talking about these wells that Isaac dug, I want to bring out a couple of insights from the K.O. Tumash here. And they're just so good. I just, I'm going to try to go through these as quickly as I possibly can. It says in the Kale Tumash that we often experience a, di a dynamic of digging, as it were, during prayer. When we pray and meditate, we dig wells. So the Kale Tumash is, is, is going to correlate the digging of wells to prayer. And remember that it's Isaac who gave us the Minka prayer, the afternoon prayer. Now that's not insignificant because remember that Isaac represents the Akida. He was the first Aki, he was the first Akida, which means he was the he was the lamb of the Shakarit. So his father Abraham gave a Shakarit because he offered the son, who was the lamb of the Shakarit. And the lamb of the Shakarit was resurrected alive so that he could initiate the Minka because there's going to be a future lamb who's going to be offered at Minka. So it's a, it was appropriate that the, 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 the lamb that was slain initially should offer up the prayer that would introduce the lamb who's going to be slain for all time. But anyway, when we pray and meditate, it says here we dig wells by clearing away emotional and mental dirt that has blocked up the flow of fresh water extant within our soul. But when we conclude our prayers and re-enter the world of our Monday affairs, the inspiration of prayer vanishes. The well has become once again blocked up by our inner Philistines. That is, our ingrained relish for material satisfaction. This happens if we fail to direct our inspiration during prayer toward correcting a particular character flaw opting rather to reveal in our uplifted state, or to revel rather, in our, in our uplifted state of inspiration. In other words, when we pray, we should be focused on correction. Most times when we pray, we're focused on petitions. But the word for prayer actually is a word that means an inner reflection. So while it's okay to petition God in prayer, the real purpose of prayer is not for petition. The real purpose of prayer is self-correction. So it says, in contrast, we must focus on improving a specific character trait while praying. We affect a change in ourselves, enabling us to retain our commitment and inspiration even after re-entering the material world. Our wells, quote-unquote, are no longer at risk of once again being blocked up. So how do we prepare for prayer? I like what it says here. It says there are three recommended steps that we can take to prepare ourselves spiritually for prayer. Here they are. Number one is giving charity. 
which inspires God to be charitable towards us. You know that the custom is, not that it's always followed, but the custom is, is that every time you enter a synagogue to pray, you should give some, some tzedakah. Why? Because you never come before God empty-handed. That's a Jewish custom. Anytime you pray, you come into the synagogue to pray, you should give something in tzedakah. Because that's a way in which God opens up the channel. So anytime we have in our heart, well, I don't want to give tzedakah today. I don't feel like I should give anything, you know, whatever. That's, you're, we're, we're unnecessarily creating a block. And how many of you want to have a block to your prayer? Nobody? No, I didn't think so. So we want to do everything we can to unblock it, right? The second way is immersing ourselves in a mikvah. Why? Because this purifies us from spiritual defilement. And thirdly, studying inspirational teachings of the Torah. So it says these three types of preparation are derived from the parallel characteristic behavior of each of the patriarchs during their lifetime. Charity is associated by Abraham's performance of deeds of kindness. And listen to this. Immersion in water is alluded to by Isaac. <laughs> Remember, Isaac is Yeshua. There's a connection there. So it just so happens that a mik- Isaac is related to the mikvah. An inspirational Torah study is likened to Jacob, who was devoted to Torah study in the tents of Shem and Eber. Yeah, right. Shlomo said it's basically a mikvah, so yes. Now there's also another aspect of digging wells. It says this. I like this insight from the Kehot. It says, in particular, digging wells can mean digging for the goodness within people who appear to be worth nothing more than stones and mud. You know, think about there. There were. I don't want to pick up on people out there, you know, but. Some people didn't want to come to Saginaw. Saginaw? Who even, who even heard of Saginaw? And I'll admit to you something. I'm born and raised here. I'm born and raised right here. I, I am literally born in this county. Okay? Born in Bedford. In a hospital that no longer exists. <laughs> or, or has since been renamed or whatever. It's still, it's still there, but it's been renamed, right? Okay, yeah. It's not like I remember when I was born there. Grew up in Grapevine. Uh, when I was a teenager, man, I drove all over the... Back in those days, Flower Mound was middle of nowhere. And uh, used to go to the stockyards all the time, hang out, okay, but I admit to you, I didn't know anything about Saginaw. Somehow it was not on the radar. Now, here we are. And people didn't want to come here. Saginaw. No, let's go someplace. Let's go someplace, uh, you know, more respectable. Like Louisville. <laughs> or maybe Grapevine or Flower Mound or someplace like that, you know, South Lake, something like that, where respectable people live. But, but, see, but see, this place is just a, a place of stones and mud. But see, what they didn't know is that it sits on a, live, a spring of living water. 
And had we dug in Louisville or dug in Flower Mound or dug in South Lake, we probably would not have hit a spring of living water. So we got to dig for the good and, and other people. I'm digging for the good in Zach and Ray for today. In order to reveal, it says here, the foundation of spiritual, spirituality and holiness buried deep within the souls that you can't see from the exterior. So it says, just as Isaac dug wells, despite the opposition of the Philistines, we too should not be discouraged from reaching out to those who deliberately and even sometimes spitefully oppose holiness. That's not easy. That's not, even, not, that's not easy. Now, there's another dimension here where it says that Isaac gave them the names, and it, uh, like the names that his father had given them. So it says the name here is Shemot, spelled with the Vav, when it's talking about Isaac, but when it says names talking about Abraham, it's missing the Vav. Shemot is spelled without the Vav. So it says the reason is the image of the Vav, a vertical line representing a flow from a higher to a lower point, Abraham's inspiration did not permanently refine or transform his students, the fact, this fact is reflected in the missing Vav. His inspiration did not descend into their consciousness as opposed to Isaac who effected a true transformation in his students. So I just want to point out that the Vav is associated with Isaac who is likened to Yeshua and the Vav is the man, the Vav is the Messiah who descended from a higher level to a lower level that affected true transformation in his students. This is how Isaac is likened to Yeshua. Now I mentioned earlier about another allusion to these uh, wells where it says, Isaac taught the people to return to their original faith. It says here, these wells also allude, this is from Mayam Loez, these wells also allude to the proselytes who were converted to belief in God by Abraham. They became receptacles for faith, just as a well is a receptacle for water. But after Abraham died, the Philistines enticed them to return back to their idolatrous religions and filled them with earth. And Isaac came and dug them out again, teaching them the ways of God once more. And it says in the, Mayim, in, in the Rabbi Munt's commentary that he, he gave them the same names as his father. In other words, they had pagan names and then they had gone through conversion because after a, after a proselyte goes through conversion, they receive a new name. So Abraham gave them a new name, but then the Philistines, when the faith of Abraham died in their hearts, the Philistines had them revert back to idolatry, and they took back their Philistine names. But when Isaac showed up, when the Akedah showed up, he redug those wells, and he gave them back the names that they were originally given by his father Abraham so that they could once again 
once again find the faith of Abraham, their father. It's a lot more that we said about the wells corresponding to the temples and so on. I think that we're approaching that third well and the third temple in our day. And so may this mikvah that, that we have constructed bring about the coming of the Mashiach as we labor to bring people closer to the true well of their inspiration. Baruch haba Bashem Adonai.